Hello and welcome to Criterion Close Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West as always, and we have a special guest, a two-timer, two-time guest, Matt Gastire. Uh, Are you two-timing us, Matt? (laughs) (laughs) I'm two-timing each of you with the other one. Actually, (laughs) well, he did two-time you, Mark, because we we just did an episode of Criterion Now, so so there. Yeah, I feel feel doubly two-timed, which is fine. <laughs> and in fact, that one will be out probably like a week or two before this one. So, right, yeah, great to have you we back. Just, Matt. We just talked about you the whole time. Mark. <laughs> yeah, just... I, I hope it was all it was all good. But uh, you know, I, I tried to bribe you, Matt. I don't know if you took that. But... Yeah, I think I think we use the word supple and. Uh... <laughs> oh, supple! I haven't, I've smooth. never been associated with that before. But... Yeah, yeah, you're supple and smooth, sir. <laughs> Well, this is Criterion Close-Up. We're back for our monthly episode. This is number 59. We're going to be talking our first foray uh, into Yasuzero Ozu. hope I got his first name right. Um, we'll also get into the Wenders documentary, Tokyo Ga, and a little bit into the world of Ozu. You um, got, so uh, you got it. You, I think you got Ozu right, but it's Benders, the B, like Victor, Benders. Benders. Benders, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm married to a, a German grad, so <laughs> she corrects me all the time on those Vs. Benders, excellent. Nice, thank you. So, Matt, again, great to have you back, uh, of course, from Criterion by Spine on Twitter, the one-tweet Criterion reviews, and uh, also the keeper of Criterion Considered on uh, Facebook. Welcome back, sir. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to talk Ozu. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're, you like, you're the you like perfect Ozu, guest. Eh? <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like top hundred at least for me. Top hundred, <laughs> <laughs> as in all his films are in your top hundred. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think you're probably the the only uh, person that I know who lists uh, Ozu as his favorite director. So glad we have you on for this, Matt. It's perfect. Yes, he he is my favorite. He wasn't always my favorite, but I'm sure we'll get into that. Aha. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's up there Developed for me. Love. I, I haven't actually gotten gotten around to ranking directors, but he would be up there. I'm thinking top five, but there probably if you gun to my head, I'd probably say about ten directors are in my top five. That's inconsistent. Yeah, it's it's hard to leave someone off. He's he's you know we'll, we'll talk about it. he's he's getting up there for me. There's a certain director that I recently discovered i'd like to briefly compare them to too but we'll we'll get into that but hey we figured we how we talk a little bit about how we discovered ozu um kind of round table a bit and you know how you discovered and you know maybe just how he became your favorite matt sure well the first uh time i ever heard of of ozu uh was probably similar to a lot of people which was taking a look at the sight and sound uh, poll of the best movies ever made probably uh it was probably the 2002 poll although it okay. may have been the 92 poll but uh tokyo story is is quite high up there and in fact it's actually currently the number one film on the director list uh so i watched tokyo story in the early 2000s and uh didn't really care for it that much uh didn't really get what the big fuss was and kind of uh wasn't particularly moved by it either um i was pretty bored actually to be honest with you um and uh didn't really go back to any ozu films until i started watching all of the criterion movies 
and approached his movies with a bit of trepidation because uh, I hadn't really been fond of it um, mm. at the begin. Uh, you know, the first time I watched uh, Tokyo Story, so uh, I started watching his other films and had kind of the same re- reaction to them. Uh, beautiful shots, some really wonderful performances. The stories were very nicely nuanced, but it just didn't connect with me. Uh, And it wasn't until maybe the third or fourth Ozu film that Mm. I watched that I started to pick up on what he was trying to do and his style and began to truly connect with his characters emotionally. And each film of his that I watch now he becomes more and more clearly my favorite director and the one that I am excited and thrilled to return to time and time again, regardless of the movie, just to see new things every time and uh, sure. really, really get, get into the lives of these characters and into the world of Ozu. Yeah, I, I, I think you kind of you know hit the nail on the head there a bit too, Matt, just how people come to Ozu. And uh, I, f- I forget who it was. One of the folks on the um, – one of the documentaries actually on Tokyo Story really shared the same thing. I, it might have been Vendors who said he watched something and it just took him a long time to kind of come back to it. And, uh, yeah, I'll just – I guess it's a good um, you know place for me to say I'm kind of similar – in that way, I actually started with Good Morning, um, really because it was at my local library. Um, well, it, it was actually a library a couple towns over, and what they had done is purchased, um, bought out a video store who had a large Criterion um, section, and they were actually the first place that I even became aware of Criterion titles. So um, I went back, <laughs> checked out Good Morning, course it's on that uh we're going to be getting an upgrade soon and it's on the old transfer but um and I, I was a little bit surprised by the the humor in it um because you know just hearing about ozu humor wasn't something that i um had you know thought was uh, as much part of his films and it took me a little while again to to go back to late spring another year or two and it's funny it, it's probably this podcast is when i'm finally um, on board with um, uh, Ozu. It's <laughs> watching, I think it was Tokyo Story. I mean, I, I wouldn't say I was, wasn't was on board before, but to truly appreciate him maybe to some level where Matt is, um, you, you know, to uh, watching, I think it was, it was Tokyo Story. You know, and I know I tweeted out, I said, I, I can't talk about Ozu without watching Tokyo Story. And, uh, you know, that was the one that, that really did it for me, uh, watching that. And again, rewatching uh, Late Spring and then a watch, really watching it again with a commentary. Mm-hmm. So how about, what about you, Aaron? Well, I'm kind of going to echo you guys. Uh, in, in fact, I'd say that uh, just becoming a film buff and uh, getting into foreign art films, I'd say that there are gateway drugs to Ozu, and I'd say that uh, Kurosawa is a big one. Uh, you start with Seven Samurai, Throne sure. of Blood, Rashomon, and then as you get comfortable with uh, maybe his more artistic ventures, then you can uh, stray out to Mizuguchi, Ozu, the, those I think are the two, and then maybe some more uh, avant-garde, Oshima, and some of the Japanese New Wave people. So I, I think Kurosawa was my uh, flow to Ozu. I just, uh, I, I loved Kurosawa's work, and so I this was before I was a collector of Criterion. I actually, and I don't know when this was, but I, it 
couldn't have been too long ago because I got got Tokyo Story from Netflix Disc, and uh, so, mm. and I don't I don't remember when the and it was the Criterion edition. I don't remember when that came out or when Netflix just came out. I think towards the end of the '90s, for the latter. But I so I watched that just to see what the big fuss about was about. And and Matt, just like you, I was I was not taken by it. I I was I hate to use the B word, but I was bored. <laughs> I was like, what yeah. is the deal? Uh, it's just nothing happens. Uh, it's just people doing things. And uh, and so I got a little impatient with it, and I didn't return. Well, I think I watched the commentary, and I appreciated it a little, a little more. Um, but actually, I appreciate it a lot, a lot more with the commentary. But I still wouldn't just bring myself to just watch Ozu films. Uh, I did watch Good Morning at some point, and then it probably is about five years ago or so when I, I really started to take to his um, his filmography. Mm. And I think it was an autumn afternoon that really clicked with me. And and I, I think I really just got into the Ozu zone, really at 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 peace with his style and uh, I like that the Ozu zone <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I've kind of come to terms with his style you know it's it's not gonna break new ground so much you know what you're gonna expect and so I, I looked before the show I've, I've seen 13 Ozu films which I think is a, a good sampling um, yeah I, I hadn't this, this is the latest one I hadn't seen late spring yet and there there and I I haven't seen I was born but yet which are both pretty major uh, but uh, yeah I even though that's a quarter of his output, um, if if that, I, I do realize that it, it is a finite, um, uh, a finite resource. So I, I I'm disappointed that that I haven't. There's only so many uh, experiences I have remaining. Um, so I, I'll rewatch some. I'll sure. rewatch Tokyo Story at some point. Good morning. Um, but yeah, late spring was a first, and I'm, I'm glad I did wait because and space out these you know landmark tentpole pictures. So. Yeah, it seems like uh, he's a director you wouldn't necessarily want to binge on, and uh, partially no. <laughs> just so you know because it's difficult to do. Uh, partially so you have some, you know, some great uh, masterpieces to look forward to. And I actually had the experience. I tweeted this out to um, Dave Eves was commenting about how I actually tried to start late spring at about ten thirty on a Friday night, and that is <laughs> not a good idea. I got. I got nine minutes in, and it's not Ozu's fault. <laughs> it's my fault. I mean, it's his cinema is really made more for you know a nice Sunday afternoon where you can focus and you know not start it at uh, you know eleven o'clock at night. It's not midnight watching. You know, I've actually come around on that because I, I I did see him as slow the first time out, but now I'm I could watch him on a Friday night. Um, I just I think getting into the Ozu zone and being mm. at peace with his style. Uh, it's really relaxing, actually, and yeah, uh, that's true. And I've come to appreciate it. You agree, Matt? Yeah, relaxing is a great word for it. There's something about his worlds that you just want to live in, mm-hmm. and so whenever the credits for one of his films begins, I just feel at peace and mm. feel like I'm home mm-hmm. uh, to a large degree, and. Uh, I, I actually uh, have watched his uh, his output uh, in chronological order over the last uh, year or two, uh, his talkies at least. I still have a few silence of his to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it, it's, it's very illuminating to go in order, but it's also just uh, so satisfying to see his subtle development mm-hmm. over his career and to, 
to watch him kind of come to ease with this uh, beautiful rhythm and style that he created. Um, it's very, it's, it's just a, a sort of awe-inspiring experience to watch somebody so confident in their technique mm -hmm. uh, perfect, perfected mm -hmm. over, over two decades. Yeah, and I think uh, really the post-war on, uh, we're talking about late spring today, but I think that's where he really hit his stride, and, and I think he was just almost on autopilot uh, the rest of the way, just cranking out great film after great film. N not that not that there's early silent stuff or are shabby. Uh, I haven't seen a, a whole lot. I re really like the floating weeds, the, the silent one. Um, mm. But but yeah, they're, they're a little more challenging, and, and he's not really yeah he hasn't found I, well i think he found his silent form and uh, and established that and then every step of the way as he transitioned into a new area sound and then uh color he uh he got comfortable i think with color he got comfortable the quickest yeah i would compare him to fellini uh in the sense that he has quite a large catalog that comes before what people traditionally think of as the mm -hmm. style of ozu right um, and uh, a lot of those films are classics and masterpieces in their own right, but they don't have, and they have many of the characteristics of later Ozu films, but they don't have the rigidity and uh, thematic focus uh, of his films uh, from this point on. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think there's lots to be mined in those early films uh, that will inform the later films. But at the same time, I think they can be appreciated by somebody who doesn't necessarily, and not to say that they're extremely accessible for anybody, um, you know, Japanese silent films from the early thirties aren't, aren't for everybody, <laughs> but I think that they, uh, you know, his college series uh, in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, some of the comedies, uh, some of the crime stuff, Walk Cheerfully, for example, um, are films that people who don't necessarily take to his family drama slash comedies um, can appreciate uh, on their own in the same way that somebody, I think, can appreciate uh, Knights of Kiberia who doesn't necessarily uh, get excited about Juliet of the Spirits. Sure, sure. Uh, Good comparison. So uh, we did, uh, you know, Aaron, you did allude to the fact, wanted to reiterate again, we are talking about late spring and talking a little bit about Ozu, um, but we I thought we'd start uh, just a bit with a biography. Um, this is covered a fair amount in some of the supplements, but he, um, Ozu, he actually born and <laughs> died on the same day, exactly uh, 60 years apart. Uh, he was the, the, he's the second son of uh, five brothers and um, sisters total. Uh, his father was actually a, a fertilizer seller, uh, of all things. And um, Ozu, he would frequently, he, he skipped school uh, quite a bit to go watch movies. So he, he got the, the bug, uh, so to speak. Um, and the film, I guess it was Civilization, was the one that uh, really where he decided to become a director. Um, it's a film I'm not really familiar with from 1915. Um, about Christ taking on the, the form of a pacifist count uh, to end a senseless war per IMDb. So for what that is, um, but yeah, he, um, and then he, from there, he, uh, he entered the Shoshiku Film Company uh, as an assistant uh, a little later. That was in uh, 1923. 
course, that was against the wishes of his father. Um, he did have some military service. He had a year then. He also spent two years uh, in China during the Second um, Sino-Japanese War. I believe that was around, uh, I think that's 37. And um, you know, he was, uh, so, I mean, that's kind of his war service. He, he was a little bit slower to kind of make the transition to Takis, again, also to, uh, to color. Um, so he, you know, did stay with uh, silence for a while. I think it was five years uh, after the advent of Takis before he made his, you know, his first um, uh, sound film. And he did, he spent some time in uh, Singapore. Uh, he was drafted to make a propaganda film in Burma and he went to Singapore instead and uh, really seemed to come, it, um, come to American films uh, during that time. Um, so he was particularly impressed with uh, Citizen Kane. And it's, it's funny to me, he doesn't seem like someone who would be so influenced by um, American films. Uh, he seems like, you know, he's known as the consummate Japanese director, but um, he also may be the most influenced by um, American films. So, and he was, uh, his just to mention his period, um, re really how things were broken out. So he did do the silence until 1935. Um, that time he was influenced by the American comedies. He uh, worked in sound uh, from 1936, where he was focused on family life, uh, social realism, um, post-war deprivation, and then late spring is the period where he starts dealing with middle-class families, uh, often dealing with the question of marriage. So this is a bit of a transition movie uh, for him that we're we're talking about. And, uh, you know, similar to, uh, well, I don't know if it's similar to Fassbender, but uh, he was known for his drinking. He did like to go on some binges with his screenwriting collaborator, Kota um, Noda, uh, quite a bit. So they had went through quite a few bottles of sake, um, which comes back into play in, uh, in Tokyo's story. So. And on autumn afternoon. Uh, <laughs> did uh, you get to see that, Mark? I know you I were, didn't, you were... no. Oh, okay. no. I was hoping to catch it last night, but we, we watched a, a Oscar movie instead. The the gourd is was the character. The gourd uh, was a, a drinker. If I re is that right, mm. Matt? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, some, yeah. Some they they used to measure actually uh, how long the script would take by how many uh, bottles of sake <laughs> they had drank in during the writing of the of the script. I think it's also worth mentioning that Ozu never married, and uh, and yeah. he lived at, lived at home with his mother for most of his life. I think, I believe, all his life. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt. But yeah, I, she died uh, very soon like just before, before he died. Yeah. Yes. So and yeah, it, you know, often couples, uh, a husband or wife dies, and the couple will die afterward. I'm not not suggesting that he and his mother were a couple, but I think as far as the family unit, they they probably were. Sure. And and I think that. Especially with the, the 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 family dramas, I think his own uh, situation and his own living with his mother, and maybe being trapped by his mother, because that's that's a common theme that comes up with uh, as far as people getting older and losing their um, their their young ones. Um, but I think his personal life probably informed his not definitely his style, but also his uh, narrative, um, his plots. Yeah. Speaking of style, uh, shall we talk a little bit about that before we talk about late spring? I think, Aaron, you're going to lead us in on that. Uh, yeah, Ozu's style. <laughs> uh, 
There's a lot of style, actually, but at first glimpse, it might seem like there's not. No uh, style, sure. Well, a, a very unique style, and, and basically, it's his style and doesn't doesn't deviate from it, but that's not quite correct. Uh, so he's most known for having extremely low camera. Uh, the, the camera's as low as it can go. Uh, in fact, at that we're going to talk a little bit about Tokyo Ga, but that was one of the most interesting parts of that was when he talks to the old cameraman and, and they talk yeah. about the process of shooting because you don't think about how I've seen that perspective so many times, but I didn't think about people lying down to capture it. So yeah, we, we were watching people lie down to get a shot uh, for hours. So yeah, that's and that's his style. The camera's low to the ground, pretty much every shot, sometimes a little lower, a little higher. It's a little higher for close-ups. Um, it also doesn't move a lot. Uh, he, he tends to direct the frame, so or direct actors through the frame, so uh, it's more capturing the action. And in fact, with Late Spring, there are some, some moments where you see the... Uh, Ryo, is that his name? Um, yes. Yes. You see him in a frame, and it kind of signifies his loneliness, and then you see him walk out of a frame and and shows the emptiness. So I, I think Ozu used the frame very... Uh, and, and it was a small frame, too. This was not, not widescreen. It became a little wider after sound because... Actually, no, it became a little narrower after narrower, sound. Because, yeah. yeah. Um, but he used the frame very, very well. Uh, so, but that, that wasn't all. It's not that like his camera never moved. It just seldom moved. Um, and it, it actually did move in late spring, which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about <laughs> in, in a couple instances. But I think it's moved less and less as he went on. Yeah, and almost always when it, it's moving, the character that's inside of the frame stays in the same position as right. it's moving so you are moving with the character so while the background is moving in reality what you're seeing is continues to be stationary yeah right and so the, we've talked about how the the pace might be slow i i, I don't like the word slow in, in his case i think it's more deliberate uh, and i like that he has little cutaways to uh, especially with the transition the scene transitions he'll cut to a couple exteriors and he'll hold on those shots for maybe a second or two as usually relaxing and not, not usually always relaxing music is played I, I love the music mm-hmm. in the ozu films and i love those little interludes because those kind of punctuate the emotion of the scene and they make you feel they make you think about what the characters are feeling and it also captures a little bit about japanese society and what he's trying to say about that uh so so yeah, a lot of little flourishes like that. I say flourish, and those are called pillow shots. Pillow shots, right? And and he, but he doesn't. He's not showy with his transitions. Uh, no right. dissolves, fades. no wipes, yeah. no yeah, nothing like that. It's basically just the frame is what the frame is, and a lot of the cuts are very sudden too. If if, if there's anything that's that's not subtle about it, his filming is it's how he kind of kind of cut cut straight to an exterior after a. Uh, an interior shot so are you on board with that all, all that matt yeah def for sure um there i think the one the two things i'll add well first of all he always used a 50 millimeter lens right and that was right. uh to the to the chagrin of the camera operator that he worked with <laughs> right um and uh the other thing is just that uh there's a lot of kind of trademark shots of his that uh come up very frequently mm-hmm uh, think, uh, you mentioned the, the kind of tatami mat shot uh, that is the angle that he shot almost everything. There's a lot of frames in Ozu's pictures uh, mm-hmm. with the traditional Japanese house. 
there's a ton of hallways. He's really into hallways. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, and in some of his films, there's kind of slow tracking in and out in hallways. Um, and that's almost one of the very few times that he'll he'll do anything like that. Um, and then uh, a lot of trains and yes, horizons. Yes, yes. He loves trains, so, yeah. So his yep. exterior shots are usually, uh, that are not pillow shots, that are action shots, usually mm-hmm. feature diagonals in some way that, yes. are, uh, that involve trains or people walking on hillsides. Um, so those are frequent, frequently um, used by him uh, to, uh, um, you know, when, whenever he goes to exteriors. Um, and the other thing is that his exteriors are us- usually actual exteriors as opposed to his interiors, which are almost always sets. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in particular his train shots uh, can have a realism that uh, other uh, directors lack in those, in those same moments. Yeah, I love his train shots. <laughs> yeah, especially I, I, in late spring. I mean, because the, the camera is there. You assume it's a camera operator holding it, and you're on mm-hmm. the side of the train. I think there's a couple of shots like that, uh, like like that, you know, just being there aspect to it. And I think the uh, his his exterior shots, and you definitely see this in late spring, he, he they're always low to the ground, but he uses un- unusual angles and uh, like obstructions and, and, and framing devices, he uses the actual landscape. Like there was one, yeah. when I remember he he was shooting an exterior and he positioned the cap, uh, the camera in like an alley next to it. So you could, mm. so a lot of the frame was uh, obscured, but you could still see the actors. Uh, but you really have to look for that stuff because it's so easy to get caught up into the, um, into the storytelling, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah. So, uh, so you really have to watch the camera. One of the style points that I, I noticed too wanted to bring up was his, his use of uh, ellipses. So his decision to not really depict major events in a story. So if there is a wedding, you may not see right. the wedding. You probably right. won't. Um, which that reminded me, I mean, I always think of influences and had to look it up uh, of uh, Boyhood, another recent Criterion title where, you know, it's another instance where you, you see you don't see a lot of the um, the big events in Boyhood. You don't see the um, things in, um, you know, like Graduation Day. You know, you just mm-hmm. see the smaller moments. So I think of a, an influence. You see, like you see the, the character moments. You don't see the... Right. And in fact, you think about a Western film, uh, if... if if say an, uh, an automatic, well, I'll, I'll stick with late spring. Say late spring was filmed uh, here, there would probably be some drama at the wedding, um, and maybe some mm. comedy actually. Uh, so, yeah, he, he he spares that. He he leaves that to the the interactions with the character, which I think is good. And actually, I think it's worth mentioning. Speaking of American cinema, that he did love American cinema, and he was heavily influenced by it. So, uh, really, yeah. I think. And and then he didn't get to see uh, movies during the war, but he kind of binged on them afterward, uh, kind of like all the French filmmakers. But uh, he he thought that Japanese filmmaking was um, would pale in comparison with American. Um, yeah, yeah. There was a funny quote where he said, "As my laugh out loud moment, I think it was from the commentary where he said." Um, you know, boy, you know, during the war, if um, Americans are making films like this, there's no way we're going to win the war. Right, right, right. Uh, yeah, it was funny. So the, the only other thing I, I wanted to mention just on style was um, I, again, I, I mentioned getting on, on board with uh, Tokyo Story on his wavelength. And I, it really was that film where I just thought to myself, you know, his films are subtle. You mentioned that, Aaron. They are, you could say, slow. 
Uh, but there's a wonderful film language if you just take the time to pay attention and let it, I don't mm -hmm. want to say wash over you, it's right there on the screen. Um, it's very subtle. Um, I'll, I'll mention a scene in the uh, in late spring um, where you know you just see the, the father and daughter separating really for the first time. And it's it's a it's a subtle film language, and mm -hmm. which it, the fact that it's subtle makes it you know to me that much uh, richer. So, or the uh, I m might as well just get into late spring, but the the dance sequence, yeah. uh, a lengthy sequ sequence, and and actually I remember when I watched it for the first time, I, I took a break and told my my wife that there was like a, a kabuki sort of theater. I guess it's not <laughs> technically kabuki, uh, and a long scene. I said it was one of my favorite scenes in the movie, and she goes, really. <laughs> A, a, a long, and I was like, oh, you should see the characters' faces and the emotion they show, and it really is, uh, yeah. And and I think the acting too, uh, and he definitely had his favorites, and I think it's the the two main characters here, main actors here are really, without them, I think um, Ozu would, his movies would uh, would would pale. Um, I think Setsukohara, uh, I'd have to say. Greatest actress of a generation, maybe greatest ever. I yeah. All I'm right. glad we're on the same page there. I think that she is the greatest movie star ever. Mm -hmm. I think that the way that um, the camera shows her, whether it was Ozu or she was in a Kurosawa film as well, and she's mm -hmm. been in some other other movies uh, as well. She retired uh, shortly after Ozu's death and and went into reclusion and didn't actually lived until uh, last year. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I, I think she is just so magnetic mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. is able to convey so much emotion with so little. Yeah. Uh, that that it, it's really astonishing and I think that that no play sequence is uh, a, a really good crystallization of so much of Ozu's style and of the way that you need to approach Ozu um, because the the sequence goes on much longer than it, certainly a Western director uh, would would feature it and and many directors just in general would feature it part of that i think is the goes goes to the japanese uh, nature of ozu's films uh they prefer complete things they would not uh, get up in the middle of a play and so he is unwilling mm -hmm. to let his film leave in the middle of a play <laughs> and i think but i think part of it also is is that um you can watch that sequence, and indeed, the first time I saw Late Spring, I, I watched it this way, thinking, when is this going to end so we can get back to the story? <laughs> and yet, when you really pay attention to what he's doing there, right. and you don't need to know what the no play is about. That's mm -hmm. not the point point of the play, even, yeah. even though, as they it helps the commentary, yeah. it makes yes, it richer yes. if you do, but yeah. For mm -hmm. sure, for sure. Um, I mean, I think as... I think the basics that you need to know is just that this is a traditional Japanese uh, art form, and uh, the father is, is sitting and enjoying this traditional Japanese art form as the, the daughter kind of has this, one of the biggest moments in the movie where she really realizes that her life is never going to be the same again. Mm -hmm. And the way he shoots uh, the scene, the way he cuts it together, and lingers on the characters and lingers on the moment that's being experienced gives you so much of a fuller understanding of what that is than if we just saw a minute of that play with her looking at 
at the woman across the way and turning to her father and saying, is that the woman you think you might marry and leave me mm -hmm. alone with? Uh, so I think that, uh, that watching that sequence, uh, you know, the third and the fourth time, you really get a sense of what Ozu wants to do with his films right. and how, how he wants you to get emotionally invested, not only in these characters, but in their world. And I think it's interesting how how your first time um, watching that sequence and my first time differed. And I, I think that watching Ozu films teaches you how to watch Ozu films. If you And I, I know that sounds silly, but the more you watch them and the more you, you get accustomed to what he's going for and these little subtleties, the more you appreciate them, the more you look for them. Because I was basically glued into the, um, the, the dance sequence um, and, and just eating it all up and i and i loved those little the way she emoted and and you you did as you said she she does so much with so little as far as emotion even even the the positive emotions she has a big smile um and when she's when right. she's happy even even when she's faking being happy and there are some occasions in late spring where that's clearly uh happening yep. uh, she she definitely and and you can kind of see through it because you can contrast say the the happiness of the bike ride versus the the fake happiness of her going through with this marriage to appease her father. Um, yeah, and, and uh, Matt, I know that you watched uh, Millennium Actress not too long ago. I know you're on a Satoshi Kon kick. Uh, what's interesting is I actually watched Millennium Actress about the time it came out, and I don't think I'd have to go back and, and look, but I don't think I'd seen an Ozu film then, and I loved mm -hmm. it, but I did, but not, and Mark, if you don't know, that's a, a really all about uh, Setsuko Hara, and if I, I, I think now I need to rewatch it because I think knowing how special she is and as an actress will really inform the viewing more. Um, would you agree? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, the, the fact it was a happy coincidence that I started watching Khan's films around this time that I'm so obsessed with Ozu films, and I knew nothing about that movie going in, and it's very different from his other movies. So. When it started, and I realized immediately, obviously, that it was Setsuko Hara that that uh, that he's talking about. Um, uh, it, it really uh, it really struck a chord with me. Um, I mean, I think that film is j more generally about Japanese film history and and sort of the process of of their cinema than it is about about her specifically. But obviously, the main character is incredibly influenced by her, and I think that says a lot about her as a, as a figure in, in Japanese film that they would make a film that's about Japanese film and center it almost mm -hmm. entirely around a character based on her. And so she's, I, she's I, the yeah. titular character too. She is the millennium right. actress. So yeah, that's uh, that's high praise. And uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, for Setsuko Hara, she was certainly a discovery for me and I'd seen her in this film before, but rewatching it in Tokyo story, I, I saw her as a similar character in the uh, between the two films too where she is the um you know she she is the modern woman but she is sacrificing her own wants and desires uh for the needs of her family uh, whether it is you know her own father or her uh, in-laws in tokyo story um so i saw her as a bit of a character in that way you could almost see her as, as a christ-like character uh, if you wanted to go that far um, mm -hmm. with you know her her sacrificing again herself especially I, I think in the in the instance of of tokyo's story but yeah i'm, I'm with you i i don't i've never seen a character emote <laughs> like like she does <laughs> on film 
Well, buckle in because uh, you've only how many uh, Ozu films have you seen, Mark? I know three, it's not three, three so, so far. Yeah, yeah, you have a lot of good stuff waiting for you, and and yeah. a lot of the 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 kind of middle sound period films that the ones that uh, I think we might get touch on a little bit when we talk about our favorites, uh, they don't get mentioned as much. But even even those, she she stands out. Uh, she's mm. just really really stellar in everything. A couple other framing things I just wanted to mention for late spring. Uh, it is based on Father and Daughter, which is um, based on a novel. Most of his films are uh, actually, you know, written by original pieces uh, with a, the co-screenwriter that I'd mentioned. Um, so that's certainly a, a little different. And we do see a bit of, I guess, from a framing device for this, wanted to mention the Western infiltration. Of course, we see the drink Coca-Cola sign uh, there. And this takes place during the, um, it's kind of hangs over the film, the American occupation after World War II, uh, though it's not uh, directly portrayed other than maybe the Coca-Cola sign. Maybe you guys think of any other in instances there, but. I actually have a theory about that that mm. we, we will get to later. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think that, that that element of the film is crucial to this movie in particular and, and really uh, sort of informs the rest of, of Ozu's career. Hmm. There's the, uh, and thinking of Hara too, uh, she is a bit of a portrayal of women during the war because uh, there is... It's not much of a mention, but mentions how she was dur um, forced labor uh, during the war that actually made her ill um, for a time. So again, he doesn't really, Ozu doesn't focus on that, but that is a you know backdrop theme, whatever you want to call it, uh, that informs her character. Yeah, and I think she's a cipher for uh, often Ozu himself, even though I think Ryo is probably the emo most obvious uh, cipher for Ozu. But I think she... she captures i think probably a lot of the emotion that he uh he wants to convey whereas ryo tends to be more straight plays it more straight and he's more stoic he's more the ideal japanese uh, uh, uh very polite very formal doesn't break with tradition whereas hara's characters usually uh play a little looser they're they're more emotional as you mentioned during the the play she will um put her head down a, subtle, a couple times, and that's probably something that her father and most of Ryo's characters would uh, frown upon because that's that breaks with the formalism. So, yeah, you, you had mentioned Aaron the the music too. Uh, one, I, I thought this was subtle. Seeing it again with a commentary, maybe it wasn't so subtle, but I like the the use of uh, the wedding march music. Yeah, um, when the boys are playing outside, uh, I just. Yeah, and it's it, you only hear a couple chords of it, and then mm -hmm. he moves on. So he, again, he doesn't linger on uh, what he's showing. So, so are we are we in in late spring here specifically? Yeah, discussion? yeah, we have been. <laughs> so yeah, that's what it seems like. So I I uh, have a have a sneak attack on you guys here. Uh -oh. I I think that there is a a very good case and i don't necessarily agree with it and as we were talking about before the show aaron autumn afternoon is probably my favorite ozu film but mm -hmm. i think that there's a very good case for late spring as the best movie ever made mm. and i want to talk about it a little bit i, I want to make the case for it uh to a certain degree uh, and it? see see kind of how you guys feel about this but 
I, you know, I've, I've watched the movie a number of times now. And I think what I really love about this movie, and I think it makes it endlessly rewarding, um, is that the film serves as a hinge point, not just in Ozu's career, but in film history. And mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, at this point anyway, the, the history of cinema is the history of the 20th century. And the fact that this movie comes in the middle uh, and comes at a point when uh, the world is getting over uh, World War II, um, which in many ways does serve as the kind of hinge point of the 20th century, um, and, and speaks so beautifully and delicately to all of the themes that are wrapped up in that process of uh, healing and moving forward and dealing with modernity in the face of, mm. of tradition and loss, um, makes it a, a really unique movie in film history. And I, I, I think it's clear when you watch Ozu's movies that this movie is the movie where he, he finally found his voice. Mm. The two films that he made before this, uh, Record of a Tenement Gentleman and Hen of the Wind, were not particularly successful. I think both movies are actually very good, even though Ozu doesn't really like them very much. Mm. Um, but, but they weren't successful, and I think that Ozu realized that uh, the, the films like The Only Son in There Was a Father that were not necessarily about Japanese society as a whole that he had made before and during the war were ways that he could talk about the themes of those two movies, Record of a Tenement Gentleman and Hen of the Wind, in a, in, a, in a more indirect way, that it would be more palatable to a wide audience. And I think with Late Spring, he really got exactly what Japanese uh, culture and, uh, and their cinema in general was uh, dealing with after the war. Uh, and and moved into an era of um, understanding both for the people who had lived through the war and the people who were trying to shake it off. And I think that was what he came to kind of deal with, uh, sort of the evolution of, of Japanese society after World War II throughout the rest of his career, really. Um, and in, in this very indirect way that, that, that hit on all of the family themes that he had been continually um, talking about. And I think uh, it's kind of weird to, to try to sum up all of film with a film with a, with a director who is so singular like Ozu. There's, it's not like you can point to, you know, a huge amount of, of films afterwards that were influenced by him in the way that you can, with uh you know Renoir for example or, or Kurosawa yeah or even Kurosawa for Rashomon sure. I mean, yeah Seven Kurosawa Samurai. obviously Hidden Fortress directly yeah. to Star Wars which right. is the beginning of modern cinema uh in Hollywood anyway but I think um or Breathless for that matter in terms of its uh you know daring uh structure and, and te dazzling technique but I think the the elemental nature of Ozu's style makes this film uh easy to sort of pour all of your uh, cinematic uh, interest into because it's so complex in such a simple way and there's so much to to unpack in terms of tradition and in terms of of what uh, film 
through the second half of the 20th century dealt with uh, of the, the, the uh, of, of coming to terms with the past and uh, letting go of, of what you love in order to be able to move forward and grow as both a person and as a filmmaker, I think. Um, and so I, I, I think there's a, there's a lot to learn from this movie. And I know a lot of people like Tokyo Story better and Tokyo Story is the more complex in terms of plotting. And so I think people and character, I mean, there's so much, so many dynamics going on. So I think it's a little bit easier to see the grandness of that story. But I think the simplicity of late spring is a strength of the film. And I think it's what makes it kind of one of those towering pictures in film history. So I was just curious what you guys thought about that. Obviously, I, I don't expect you to agree with me uh, 100%, but I, 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 I do feel like it, there is a worthy case to be made there. Well, Matt, um, those are some, <laughs> some pretty uh, hefty but not really uh, <laughs> words. I guess I would say, you know, as I mentioned, I've seen Late Spring twice. It's the only Ozu I've seen a couple of times. Um, it is number 15 on the sight and sound list. I think Tokyo Story is number three. Uh, he and that film is two above Seven Samurai. Uh, the, if you want to go with <laughs> comparing him to another <laughs> Japanese director, you know the highest on the list for him. So I, I can I can see that. I mean, I, it does feel like um, a really a turning point for you know Ozu found his voice turning point for Japanese cinema maybe, uh, Japanese society post-war, occupation uh, the um, flowering a, a bit of it, really I guess the western influence on the role of women in society, you can see that different right. difference here I believe the term is mogu that uh, is mentioned, so I can certainly see that, the only thing that would hold me back a little bit from being able to um, and I could certainly go with you that, again, additional viewings of this film. This film hits me where I live, as Cole and Erica of the Magic Lantern would say, because <laughs> I, I have a daughter. Um, she's 13, and so the more I watch this, I can see this being more and more impactful. But um, I think it is uh, really, I, I guess the, the only thing I would question maybe about it being able to be completely a pivot point um, that I'm kind of thinking of it as is, um, and this would be sometimes you look at things in retrospect, right? And then you realize, you know, hindsight's 2020. But I don't know if like American audiences or audi other audiences really had uh, access to this film, you know, at the time for it to influence, um, you know, right. so highly. So maybe it's really just that that retrospect, you know, looking back uh, as to where we were at that point. Uh, that this was, you know, really that uh, that turning point, that pivot that I, I think you're alluding to. So, <laughs> I don't know. What do you think, Aaron? Uh, yeah, I, I can kind of see. Well, I definitely see where you're coming from, Matt, and I can I can almost get there right now. I'm not going to call it my favorite film of all time, which is of course subjective, and I I don't think that's what you're saying either. I think you're just saying you know the objective greatest film because it's pivotal in the and as far as world cinema is concerned, definitely Japanese cinema and absolutely Ozu cinema. Um, before I address that, I just want to unpack a couple of things. One, you mentioned his, its influence and how it wasn't as influential influ yeah. <laughs> and how it wasn't as influential as say Kurosawa or maybe even Mizuguchi. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna 
I'm going to disagree with you a little there. There, it didn't influence like Western films of the '50s, or um, but I think it has, especially as Ozu's become more part of the film culture discussion in in like the last few decades, especially. I think it has influenced a lot of family dramas and uh, and you know even something that's okay like ordinary people I could see <laughs> some Ozu. Now you're not going to see a lot of films with a camera just low to the ground that doesn't move. Um, but you will see a lot of people moving in, in, in and out of the frame in a, in a special way. I, I think we saw that with PTA. I, I wouldn't draw a through line with PTA and Ozu. Oh, well, maybe you could. But I and I just watched uh, Kenneth Lonergan's uh, Manchester by the Sea yesterday, yeah. and and I could see really all of his films could be connected to uh, Ozu as far as the way the subtlety of the characters, the emotion. So I, I think there is absolutely influence there uh, for just a, a number of filmmakers but but it's not as he, he didn't there's there, nobody's going to remake uh you know something and just slap a different name on it like they did with uh the seven samurai on, on a couple occasions uh, so so and then as far as it being the greatest film of all time and representing uh i guess history is is kind of the point you made matt um I think yes. I, th- I think part of what I love about film, I, I, I have a, a history degree as well, and I, I love that it does capture historical truths and his- historical periods. And uh, and I, I know that we're going to probably touch on the American occu- occupation some, and that you know the the commentary there that was a Pena had a thesis there. I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to a little bit of a reach to, and I might be jumping on the gun on you there, Mark. Uh, Matt, <laughs> I think it's a little bit of a bit of a reach to say that he's commenting on the occupation, but I think maybe his film is a product of the occupation and of this the transition in Japanese society and 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 consequence or su- subsequently the transition of American or a global society. You know, the world did change dramatically after World War II, and family the family unit definitely changed in in. Japan because so many people were lost. It certainly changed in America because the economy boomed and America became the superpower, the you know the bona fide uh, superpower uh, unquestionably. Whereas you know in a little bit later, Japan, Italy would industrialize and that influenced their film movements. Definitely the Japanese New Wave. Definitely people in Italy like uh, like Fellini and Antonioni. So. So anyway, that <laughs> that was a long-winded way of saying, yes, I see it. Uh, even though it's not my favorite film, I could see it as I'm not going to go so far as to say the best film of all time. I think that's a little lofty, and I, I don't mean that in an aggressive way. But I, I could see it as the best Ozu film and the most uh, profound and uh, the most important. Maybe I, I'd say I'll settle on most important and among the most important films of world cinema. So. Is that good? <laughs> uh, yeah. No. I mean, I, uh, I like I said, I, I don't, I don't expect you guys to be like, oh yes, of course, it's the best movie. Ever made. <laughs> um, and and again, I don't even necessarily, you know, want to designate that as uh, as as something that that I one hundred percent agree with myself. But I, <laughs> I do think, um, you know, when you look at, and I agree with with both of the points that you've made there. Um, especially with regards to this being more of a reflection than a commentary on mm-hmm. the occupation. Oh, good. Uh, the one thing I will say about that, though, uh, is that this was this movie was released during the occupation, and so he was uh, dealing with uh, 
a review board. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the censors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. that right. that uh, that would prevent him from kind of going into any more detail talking about how that would be uh, impacting mm-hmm. uh, society. Um, but mm. I, I do think that uh, even the the industrialization uh, process that uh, and sort of the the capitalism that took hold of Japan in the late sixties is very much reflected in an autumn afternoon. Mm-hmm. And in a, in a way that I find more compelling than as much as I like the bad sleep well, um, Kurosawa's sort of uh, criticism of uh, the the capitalistic trends in Japan uh, around the same time. Yeah, um, because it's so much more uh, conflicted and sympathetic to both sides, and and you know those those uh conversations that uh they have in the bars in um in autumn afternoon are so much about uh the melancholy that they have for mm-hmm. having lost the war the regret of having right. fought in the, right. of having fought in the war to begin with and mm-hmm. and this feeling that their generation is being left behind and that a new generation is taking their place that doesn't share the same values um and and the way that ozu handles all of those things is just so sympathetic it's so humanistic um and and i personally uh you know obviously we're 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 in a very difficult political climate at the moment um with a lot of anger on both sides um i i feel that that ozu's films speak to me as a modern progressive despite his his i think for the most part small c conservative uh tendencies uh more much more than kurosawa's uh social commentaries which i think come off as kind of a bit dated Mm -hmm. and specific to the socialist movements of that era um and and a little preachy as well whereas mm-hmm. i think ozu's films are so complex and so unwilling to take sides mm-hmm. that they become timeless in that regard mm-hmm. and so i think late spring says more for me about uh what what people go through on a day-to-day basis dealing with change both politically and economically um than something like the lower depths or sure. uh, or even the bad sleep well um and I, I think that's one one element of his movies that is really um constantly renewable and, and appealing yeah and he did touch on the occupation in this and and also just the post-war melancholy i i, I love how you the scene that from autumn afternoon that you brought up that's i mean there are a number of tremendous scenes from that film but that that one in particular when they're yeah. kind of processing their their experiences and 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 really lamenting that that things have changed uh, ozu did not take well to change uh, mm-hmm. as a director as a or as an individual so um so I, I think we see a lot of that through his films i also think he um you know i i think of say a kobayashi is more uh volatile and 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 takes on uh, some of these political realities a little uh, little head-on yes Whereas I think Ozu kind of is a little more passive and just kind of, uh, and as you said, melancholy, just kind of uh, deals with them on his own terms. Uh, these are going on, and uh, and I'm just going to have my characters speak on the changes that are taking place, and then and say that the, later the the new wave. There, uh, and we we talked about uh, Suzuki in another episode. You know, he he processes the war, gate of flesh. 
in a completely different way. He uses rape <laughs> to uh, to process right. it. So, uh, yeah, I think Ozu's style is it's subtle and it's uh, and he yeah it does speak on the West, but it's uh, it speaks a lot more. It's more just human truths, and um, and I think that's what's special about it, and that it, somebody could watch Late Spring and be emotionally affected and not even think about the occupation, maybe not even be aware of it. Yeah, and and obviously, I mean, I think that shows up again and again in his films, where mm-hmm. you know it's hard to it's hard to say he's making a definitive statement about anything. And in fact, I mean, this movie is called Late Spring. It's not called One Late Spring, right? <laughs> you know, it's not called This Moment Happened in Time. Um, and even though many of his later seasonal uh, titles were simply just American titles, that, translations, uh, because, are, yeah, because right. they didn't sure. didn't didn't want to use the Japanese titles. Like an autumn afternoon is a mm-hmm. taste of mackerel. Um, yeah, that, that just bounces off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know why they wouldn't call it a taste of mackerel. In I have no idea. Yeah. Um, but but you know, I, I think that it does speak to his his sensibility, which is that there is no one truth, that there mm-hmm. there's no one moment that that these stories continue, that they're going to keep happening, um, and that you know, even I, I love just the title "I Was Born," but because mm-hmm. even though even though uh, all you know he has a lot of titles that have that but dot uh, dot 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 at the the end um i was born is the most definitive thing that happens to every person who's alive so and yet there's a but it's not i was born then dot dot Mm -hmm. dot it's like the one definitive thing that we all know is that we were born but so there is there is no no definitive statement in his movies, and I think that makes them uh, appealing to to a lot of people from different walks of life because they're able to see themselves reflected in right. in his different characters. And they're yeah, so complex. Self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're complex that I think a lot of people can can extract a lot about themselves or or their own culture or or even overreach yeah. and and find things about. Um, about other cultures too so i mean it's a, cinema's basically it's it's what you bring to it right so and, and mm-hmm. ozu lets you reflect on yourself uh in these dramas so yes yeah. as you put it mark it hits you where you live that's because <laughs> ozu right. and i think it's worth worth pointing out also that ozu made a lot of movies like late spring and an autumn afternoon the the father dealing with uh, siblings moving on is a recurring theme uh that he uses in a variety of different ways to um to tell a story he kind of tells the same story a number of times would you agree yep. matt oh yeah definitely and actually um late autumn i think it is uh setsuko hara plays a mother who's mm-hmm. um who wants her daughter to move on and get married so it, she she actually kind of reverses um positions uh in in that film so uh but and yet that film has a has a much later tone than late spring there's a lot more characters in it, um, and she's not the central, uh, the 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 mother mother relationship mother daughter relationship is not the mm-hmm. the central story of that movie. So he he would tweak his his story ever so slightly, um, in order to emphasize one thing more than another thing, um, mm-hmm. and I think more than people kind of give him credit for a lot of the the reason that he did that was to talk about what was going on in Japanese society at that time. Yeah, well, uh, Early Spring is from more is more the same story, but from the point of view of couples. So 
and, and they're seeing their parents. Whereas uh, from late spring, you, you, you more see it from, or actually in autumn afternoon, you probably see it more from the, the patriarch's perspective. So yeah, he mixes things up. And then Tokyo Twilight is another example where it's kind of a similar story, but uh, it's a little darker. So yeah, uh, yeah. It makes I, I, if you look at the synopsis, uh, they they all sound pretty similar. But uh, but you, you you will watch them and you won't think, oh, I saw that movie before. Uh, there are no right. another enough regulated differences as well. I'll say that uh, that make them interesting in their own right. And as you said, comment on different aspects of society. Yeah. Speaking of um, you know, <laughs> different plotting uh should we wrap up uh late spring by talking about the ending just a little bit yeah am i gonna cry mark should, should, I, should <laughs> I cry well i did i did want to i did want to bring up one thing about the uh the occupation because oh sure this this kind of uh so i how do, how do i put this i really feel very strongly that aya the the uh, female friend of Setsuko Hara's character was married to an American. Mm. Hmm. And Interesting. Uh, they don't mention it, anything like that in the commentary. I've read a couple books on Ozu. They don't talk about it. Um, but she... So, so there's an exchange at the beginning with the father where she said... where he asks her what the name of her husband was. And of course... Um, for people who are listening, like you, Japanese women could not divorce people until the occupation. Right, they, right. they forced that into the Japanese constitution. Um, she says that her marriage wasn't arranged. She, he asks her what his name was, and she says Ken. He says, oh, that's right, Ken Kichi. So he mm-hmm. reads into it that it's a Japanese name. Um, she lives in a Western house that's right. entire, that's entirely Western. Yeah. She works for uh, she works as a stenographer who speaks English and does mm-hmm. shorthand in English. Right. Yeah. Uh, to me, to me, uh, this was Ozu commenting on the occupation in a way that got in a very sly way that right, got around the fact that. Uh, he, you know, he wouldn't be able to show a Japanese woman who divorced a terrible American occupier, um, and get it past the censors. Um, so right. I, I don't know if you guys, what you guys think about that, but I, I just, uh, I, I wanted to throw it out there to anybody because I feel like <laughs> I'm crazy, I'm crazy maybe. Um, but it, oh, it, that's, yeah, you definitely are crazy. That, that hasn't been <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> no, um. I can get on board with you, Matt. I'm gonna. There was a quote I was gonna actually throw at you guys, and uh, this is a good time to do it. Um, where I, uh, during that scene, says, "Men are no good. They're devious. Before marriage, they only show their good side. But once they have you, everything awful comes out." Mm-hmm. And maybe I should be talking to your significant others to uh, <laughs> ask that. But I, I wonder if that's if that's true, and it makes you wonder. Then you know, really, was it was it a a, uh, a devious? <laughs> A Japanese man or an American man um, that made her her think that way. So that's an interesting point. I can totally get behind that. I'm yeah, I think I think I'd have to rewatch to to see the signs that you saw. Um, and I think you've seen this a few more times than I have. Um, they definitely saw, especially with the her occupation, they they saw that as as a a new type of an interesting type of uh, occupation. That uh, the shorthand is you know of course today it's basically outdated, but back then that was pretty. Um, 
pre pretty new. That that's probably something that didn't happen in Japan uh, before the war, and that's probably very American. Um, so I, I think she did represent the West, and I think she did represent divorce, um, which I think is an important factor in this film. So interesting observation. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Can go there. So how about the uh, how about the ending? Uh, I mean, we're again assuming folks have seen uh, Late Spring. So before we give our ratings, we just wanted to tie that up a bit. Uh, Matt, thoughts on the ending? Uh, it's. Um it's extremely moving. I mean, I think, uh, I think there's kind of, th well, I want, I was going to say just one, I, I was going to say three endings, uh, because I think, I think right. there's, yeah. Yeah. I think there's, uh, the scene when they're on vacation, mm -hmm. um, where she tells him that she doesn't want to leave. Yeah. Right. And then I, and then, and then the scene where she's getting married, um, and, uh, you know, thanks him for, for everything that he did for her which I, I personally find to be the most moving mm -hmm. of, the, of the three. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, then, uh, and then the scene where he's peeling what is either an apple or a Japanese pear, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, which, which is, I think, the most interesting cinematically, because I, I, sure. I think Visual. it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's so um, sort of unique in the film, the way he shoots uh, Ryu, and then the way Ryu uh, acts, which is very... Um, sort of emotional uh for mm -hmm. his character drops his head at the end and yeah 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 but yeah. i think there's also the scene of her of them laying in bed where he falls asleep as she's speaking to him i was right i was thinking about that scene and to me that was very moving um yeah, uh, yeah. although I, I don't i don't see how they slept in those beds <laughs> sorry i know <laughs> i think that all the time sorry to digress so but it's like okay i can't do that uh, i i guess for me i the for me the climax of the movie is the conversation uh and it's interesting yeah. that it's 15 minutes into you know there's actually 15 minutes left i think after mm -hmm. that and i just wonder you know you mentioned all the numerous endings matt i, I wonder if an ozu film can truly have a climax um and if it yeah. does you know for me it's this one uh it's this you know and he the father it's the shot reverse shot except there's no over the shoulder um you just see their faces and you know the 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 line that stuck out to me is the father says happiness takes effort. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, you know, speaking to her new life and it's, yeah, it's just such a quiet, quiet writing, uh, that I think Ozu and his screenwriter has done. And he, the father suggests, um, that she has to transfer the love that she has for him to her new husband. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what isn't, <laughs> you know, that's, to me, that's one of the most f familial things that, that you go through as a um, as a person. You know, whether you you know you mentioned being born, Matt. Whether you um, have a child that's born, you die. You have a parent that dies. There is at some point you have to transfer the love that you have for your parents to um, another person, and you make a, a huge change in the, in that uh, change in your life. So yeah, to me that just that back and forth between the two of them was a lovely climax. My, my favorite scene. Yeah. He never, he never got to make a, I was married, but <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, maybe, although that's kind maybe of, one of the lost fla ones. flavor of green tea over rice, I guess would be, yeah. The, yeah. I was married, but kind of a lot of them actually, actually, I, I mentioned uh, early spring. I, I'd say that was a little bit, I, I was married, yes. but uh, yes. yeah, it's, it's a bittersweet, but again, we we know that uh, Ozu didn't like change, and right. that change is difficult. And these are major 
probably among the most major uh, life-changing experiences for uh, the, the the major characters here, and it, it's not easy. And uh, and it, but it's also a little beautiful to see how you uh, how you resign yourself to change, how you sacrifice yourself for for the benefit of others for change. So yeah, I, I think it's a, a beautiful ending and um, mm. or endings. endings. You know, we're not talking talking about Lord of the Rings here. <laughs> There's uh, it doesn't end t- twenty times, but um, but I think each each scene kind of punctuates uh, and kind of settles uh, an emotional uh, thread, I guess, so to speak. I don't. Sure. I, I think I think I I would push back a little bit on the idea that Ozu doesn't like change. I think it's more that Ozu realizes that change is hard. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah, and it, I, and it I takes think, effort. <laughs> yeah, a... because I I think there's there's not really anything that Ozu resists in any of his movies, except and for I moving think... moving the camera. He doesn't yeah. do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, explosions. He he refuses right. to have any explosions right. in his movies. Right. Um, but I think I think that uh, you know I think he's very uh, sympathetic to how difficult the process of change is for his characters and for the world that he is portraying. But I think he knows that it's necessary and that uh, in many ways, the purpose of all of his movies is to uh, show the, uh, the process of change as a positive one and mm-hmm. as an ever-changing uh, and uh ever-changing reflection of life itself yeah well kind of i i don't know if uh if if her if hara's character really if she really was committed to the marriage or if if this is really what she wanted uh and in fact i think if if he even points out that if if he had not convinced her that he was going to marry that she would not have been on board she she vocalizes that in in one of those endings yeah, I thought it was interesting in the in the commentary how it seemed like Pena really felt like maybe there was more of a question of whether she wanted to get married or or not. Um, right. he, he I, I think seemed, it's ambiguous. Yeah, he yeah. seemed more more positive on it than I think you or I uh, are, um, feel, depend, based on what you're you're saying here. But I did think it was interesting how he pointed out how she seemed really happy after she met. Uh, the man um, mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. she was supposed to be marrying um, when she was talking with with her friends. So I, I do think there there are some signs that um, that she was she was at least uh, conflicted about it. That she wasn't just going kicking and screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, and I I do think again uh, th- that's part of the beauty of Ozu is that each time you watch these movies you can you can see a different motivation in in each of his characters and it's not just black and white sure yeah and her her being conflicted might not reflect that might not mean that she doesn't like her upcoming husband but i think it might be more just the resistance of abandoning abandoning her her father you know him having to iron his own shirts and make his own food uh which is yeah there's there's a little bit of a, a a it's more of a japanese thing uh i not that I want my wife to leave me or, uh, you know, not that you, your daughters are going, well, your daughters are going to leave you, Mark, but, um, eventually I think, I think you'll be able to do the dishes just fine. <laughs> I hope so. I've been taught well. Yeah. So Matt, I, I have a feeling we know what your rating is going to be for this film, but, uh, <laughs> lay it us, lay it on us anyway. Ah, uh, seven. 
<laughs> All right. Moving on. No, this is this is a this is a ten for me by far. This is what ten. This is what the number ten was made for. This is what ten looks like. <laughs> How about you, Aaron? I'm gonna say nine for now. I I'm but with an asterisk because I can get on board with uh, Matt's uh, lofty position of this movie. Mm-hmm. And it, again, as I as I said, its importance um, for Ozu and for world cinema, and, and it's still important. Uh, you know, sixty, seventy years later. Uh, but I, I'll stick with a nine. I think I think with some more rewatches and a little more time with more Ozu films, it could go higher. I don't see it going lower. Right. Sure. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Matt. I'm gonna go with a ten. Uh, second watch for me, and it this really. I mean, coming off of Tokyo Story and then rewatching this, uh, watching these actors in in space doing their thing and being directed by Ozu. Uh, it was something else for me. So, and I also want to just comment how the theme of the need to marry uh, may be influential of a f- recent film this year. Uh, when you look at uh, Yorgos Lanthimos, The Lobster, and that's that uh, film's take on relationships and the need to, um, you know, be together with somebody. Uh, maybe, maybe Lanthimos was a, an Ozu fan, but uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. I'll give it a. I'll give it a ten. I think Barry Jenkins was a, an Ozu fan for sure. Yeah. 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 I think you're right. So we thought we'd touch just briefly on the supplements. Uh, there are there are really longer supplements. Uh, they're sparse but longer. There's the audio commentary uh, with Richard Pena. He's the program director of New York's Film Society of Lincoln Center. And then Tokyo God, 1985's Vim Vendors. Thank you, Andrea. Uh, 92-minute documentary <laughs> about the director. So um, any any comments on the, the commentary, Matt? I thought it was a good commentary. Um, I think uh, he hit, he struck a good balance between uh, talking about the themes of the film and the kind of structure of it technically. Sure. Uh, and there were some, some really interesting insights. I personally had not you know, I, I probably watched this movie f- about five times now. Uh, I, I personally had not even thought about the notion that maybe she had had brothers and that they had been mm-hmm. killed in the war. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was uh, great. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And, and, and I, you know, I really liked his stuff about, about uh, the father daughter uh, relationship and the, and sort of the transition from, uh, traditional things to modernity with the tea ceremony mm-hmm. at the beginning and mm-hmm. uh yeah that was good yeah all, all that stuff so i i enjoyed it it's not my favorite commentary i've ever heard but i mm-hmm. thought it was a, a very solid addition to the disc how about you Aaron? yeah i i liked it um i think i like any ozu commentary i think they all bring yeah. something a little different and uh and i think with with films like his that are so dense that um that unpacking them a little bit at a time is is helpful uh i as i mentioned i i didn't i wasn't on board with everything that he said i thought that he did reach a little bit uh but i i liked actually as you kind of pointed out i liked him pointing out things that i missed that weren't in the frame or weren't in the scene like his brothers like the family uh scenes that weren't shot little things like uh when he pointed out uh, a couple sign sequences but that you but those are really just transitional he's just showing if he's kind of a tour guide uh he's showing you what's interesting to him rather than what's uh you know the the most uh, Im- uh 
rather than like the spots that everybody wants to see. So, and I liked that his uh, his uh, distillation of the deception of simpl simplicity, which kind of served as a rubric for his later films, and um, and that they they do appear simple, but there's a lot underneath the um, underneath the foreground that uh, and you know hence our discussion here. There's there's a lot. Uh, we could probably talk for five hours about late spring and all its meaning. We could have interesting commentaries and little tangents uh, related to that sure. as well. Uh, there's plenty there. Um, but yeah. when you first watch, as we talked about at the beginning of this episode, when we first watched Ozu, we just thought it was boring uh, with cameras not moving and people just doing domestic stuff. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Actually, I like the uh, the commentary on the Autumn Afternoon and Tokyo Story better. Hmm. I haven't listened to those yet. Uh, I, you know, to your point, Aaron, I think this would actually be a really good commentary to listen to if you're brand new or newish uh, to Ozu. It's actually the first one. I mean, I've seen, you know, three films once, twice. Um, this is the first commentary I've listened to, but I, I did like the really the setup that he gives, whether it's uh, you know the historical pieces, the the camera movements, the acting. There's a lot mm -hmm. there uh, that he does kind of give you as a. Uh, I guess you'd say a backbone, you know, like Matt was alluding to. But this would be a really good place to start, uh, obviously, after watching the film um, to maybe kind of try to understand uh, Ozu a bit. And I did like how he does talk about the unseen characters. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you'd mentioned the brothers, uh, also the future husband that we never see. Uh, I always like that device of the, you know, the the character everyone's talking about, but uh, no one actually, you know, uh, actually sees. So... I like that. And, and just the, the comment on, I, I sort of noticed it, but how um, technically Ozu doesn't use close-ups. He only really gets as close as a medium close-up. Right. So, you know, he allows you to identify with a character, but really more fo uh, maybe reflect on yourself versus reflecting, you know, full identification with a character that's, that's on screen you know, as you see them where they are. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. I, 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 did, mm -hmm. I did like it. I should add oh. that uh, the, the uh, autumn afternoon commentary is Boardwell, which makes a difference. Mm, yes. He's a big one. <laughs> I haven't listened. I actually haven't listened to that yet. I, I, oh, I'll, it's. I'm going to put that on this week. It's great. Can't go wrong with Boardwell. Yeah. Tokyo God. This is again 1985. Uh, Vim Vendors. This was interesting. What? Any thoughts on this one, Matt? Uh, you know, I just kind of ate this one up. <laughs> I loved. <laughs> I just. It was yeah. just. Uh, I mean, it was comfort food for me. Uh, it, it's a little odd, and I think people yeah. who are going in expecting an in-depth exploration of Ozu from the perspective of inventors are going to be a little disappointed. That's what I was expecting at first, but yeah, yeah. after a little while, I was on its wavelength. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and it's, I mean, just even just, I would watch a five-hour documentary about Tokyo in the 80s, just, Absolutely. you know, just wandering around the streets. So I thought that was great. I think my favorite part was... Uh, I mean, the, both of the interviews that he got were very illuminating, but I loved when he was shooting the uh, alleyway with the mm -hmm. signs and he switched to the Ozu 50 millimeter lens. Uh, that just uh, blew me away. Just to see mm. Tokyo in the 80s through Ozu's lens was was quite the thrill. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What you earn? It was good. I think it was more about vendors than it was about Ozu. Yeah. Uh, and yes. but I I did like uh, especially the the um, interviews with the cameraman and Ryu were, were 
told a, told a lot. I think more than a lot of Ozu documentaries or that I've seen. Uh, just some of the snippets they gave. Uh, I, I did like just enjoying Venter's kind of fly in the wall. Him uh, taking in Japanese culture, even if it's right. pretty far removed from uh, the one that Ozu envisioned. It's actually maybe a few steps away. As you know, the, Tokyo is actually a very crazy city. If you haven't. Uh, haven't noticed, and I think Ozu, if he could see it today, he might. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, I don't know what he'd do, but I, I don't think he would be down with it. Uh, but like the the gambling, what what's that game? Oh yeah, Pachinko. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the, the sequence with that. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was an enjoyable documentary, but just like you guys, it was. I was expecting more of a. Uh, this is Ozu's films. This is his life. Uh, I did, and I actually kind of appreciated this more. I, there's one that's on the Tokyo Story disc. That is, uh, you might something I was something but yeah, uh, I lived but I it's, lived but right. it's it, it's a very good straightforward documentary on Ozu. I I definitely preferred this to that as a as a piece of of, of standalone cinema. Right. It says something different than just being a reflection of a life and a work. Although I, I love those documentaries as well, and and you t- I think you learn more about Ozu from probably that other documentary than you do on this one, but uh, just having enjoyed the experiences of Ozu and seeing that through the lens of vendors, and, and I th- right. I'd say that he definitely is influenced by by Ozu's style and, and, um, and pacing, for sure. Uh, seeing that appreciation through his actual camera was, uh, was kind of enthralling. Yeah, this felt like to be you know a, a lot of post Ozu. I mean, I guess that's kind of obvious because it's mm-hmm. you know what twenty years after his death. But uh, it really, to me, what I took was the the Western influence. We talked about you know post occupation. There's a number of scenes where you see um, the you know the the dancing, uh, the Western influence of uh, Elvis and other rock and roll music of the 1950s. Mm-hmm. You've got the the 1980s arcade games that they're they're playing like pole position and the other table games. And then the one that really struck me was uh golf. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. you get that triple decker driving range and there are it's full. It's completely full mm-hmm. and there isn't even a a space for them to play real golf. You actually have the one lonely man who's playing who's on the putting green. So, you know, to them, it's just more about that, um, you, you know, the it's golf is more of a cerebral game. So I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that, you know, Japanese culture would take to it. Um, but it's more about that, you know, that body and motion of the you know, hitting uh, driving golf balls. Um, it's also uh, speaking of an autumn afternoon, it's a, a prominent thread there, too. And, and I think a mm. lot of the these little uh, diversions, I, I can't really think of where the Elvis um, sequence plays into Ozu films, but a lot of these little uh, explorations do, especially the golf. The golf stood out. The golf on the trains actually are, are very, right. him, you know, taking something from Ozu and exploring on his own. Um, do you agree, Matt? Yeah, there's the the pachinko as well. There's a lot, uh, a number of uh, pachinko um, parlors in Ozu's uh, sort of, not lesser films, but the, not not in the main the mainline films. Okay. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the oddest were the, the Elvis, uh, dancers and then the, um, right. and then the, the food, the plastic food. Which yes. was, right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it was fascinating, but yeah. I don't really know where it, how it applies to, to any of it. To Ozu. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like the, at one point it was like you're going to a hardware store and just picking out hardware from the drawer. You're just picking out plastic food. That was a interesting. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Mm. And yeah, also I mean, a, um, a Herzog sighting uh, briefly. Right. This, so. yep. Yeah. Can can anybody explain to me what he was talking about? Nope. No idea. <laughs> images, I guess. I don't the know. loss of what, images of our civilization, whatever that means. What is Herzog ever talking about? So. Yeah. The, the, the one other thing I will say about the documentary, uh, and this is true actually of the, um, of the one on Tokyo Story as well, um, you really they they show the clips of Tokyo Story at the beginning and the end, and boy, right. Criterion has cleaned those up. Yes, I mean, they those yeah. movies looked atrocious in the eighties. Big difference. Mm-hmm. It's hard to it was hard to actually connect that that was the same movie that I've seen. Uh, even yeah. the DVD has has come a long way since then. So, right. So, uh, what would you, Matt? I'll turn it to you first. What would you give the overall uh, package of late spring? And I'm assuming you would canonize this. Uh, it's definitely going in the canon. I I think that uh, that this surprisingly, it's you know obviously there's only two extras plus a couple of essays in the book, right. but they're really strong extras. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a Vim Vendors feature length documentary is a nice yep. a nice Solid. bonus to have. Um, so I, I would give this a nine. I, I wouldn't go to a ten just because uh, I think Tokyo Story is probably a, a ten release from them. Yeah. Um, so Dual format and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a beautiful package. Yeah, so so I, I would probably go nine here, maybe eight five, but um, it's a it's a very strong release. Yeah, Aaron, what do you think? Yeah, I, I feel the same. I, I like I like that it doesn't waste a lot of time with uh, little redundant. Uh, supplements um it just has two major ones and um <coughs> you can appreciate on their own yeah and yeah again the commentary was, was really good not the best uh, but the documentary is one of the better documentaries i've seen on film so yeah i'll stay with nine yeah all right uh, i was going to give it an eight just for the you know just the two two supplements and the um you know the essays i i think were were good i i'm mm-hmm. knocking it down just a notch too because i think it could use another restoration it says a new high definition transfer and you could see the print damage and i understand it's a 1940s um you know japanese film so i can see this getting another new restoration and uh, re-release i think i've heard rumors of that coming yeah. so hopefully at some point but and are we canonizing i just have this? to say i oh yeah well lo- i love this print i think it's awesome i love the fe- i feels like film to me Mm-hmm. And, and even despite the damage, which I, I totally agree, I mean it's obviously there. Right. You know, it's it's a it's a a, a Japanese movie from the '40s, so that mm-hmm. it looks this nice is kind of good to start with, and I just think it looks it looks beautiful. Yeah, classic films can look too clean, and I, I, I somebody was watching Grand Illusion the other day and thought thought it's been cleaned up too much. Uh, so I, I could see that a little bit. Oh, uh, a lovely yeah. moving menu too. Uh, that. Criterion's kind of gotten away from, so yeah. that's nice. Yeah. yeah. Like so I, I, my answer to the canon is yes as well. <laughs> All right, there it is. So speaking of canon, uh, as we're winding down, we just wanted to mention our, our favorite Ozu films. How would we rank these films? So again, Matt, as our resident uh, Ozu expert, where are you going to go with this? I, I think you just posted a list on uh, Letterboxd, too, if I saw that correctly. I did, yeah. Well, I I ranked all of his talkies uh, in order of personal preference as opposed to sort of, you know, any sort of objective Mm -hmm. level of quality. Um, An Autumn Afternoon is my favorite of his films. 
Um, but I, I do want to recommend some earlier films for people uh, that are maybe a little less traveled. Um, I mean, I was born, but definitely sticks out of the uh, of the silent pictures. And Floating Weeds is also uh, really great uh, as well. Uh, I would recommend people go on YouTube and watch uh, I Graduated But. Uh, it's only about 20 minutes and uh, that's that has survived of it. And I, I find it to be a very illuminating film in terms of Ozu's style and progression towards uh, who who we think of as uh, as Ozu as a filmmaker. Um, and then I also highly recommend uh the only son there was a father, uh, dual mm-hmm. pack, which mm-hmm. is I think those are his first two uh, true um, kind of masterpieces as talkies, um, and then a hen in the wind. Uh, a lot of people don't care for. I personally really like it a lot. It's definitely more dramatic than almost any other Ozu film, but it has a, I think the key to a lot of Ozu's later work and sort of his humanity and and. There's some really beautiful stylized sequences, particularly at the be, uh, at the beginning, as the the wife is uh, is sitting and making a, a large decision that I won't I won't spoil for anybody. But there's a lot of non Ozu stuff that is very interesting in there mm-hmm. that I think informs a lot of of, of what came later. Well, I'll I'll mention uh, just because again I haven't seen much, then I'll turn it to Aaron. Um, my I'd probably go actually in the order that I've seen them in reverse order. That uh, Good Morning Number Three, I did did like the comedy of that and look forward to watching more. Late Spring is uh, it's a it's a ten movie for me, uh, bested only by Tokyo Story. Re watching that for the first time was. I'd put it as a transporting experience on the, on the level of watching the Apu trilogy. Um, he, uh, Ozu, uh, Ray is the filmmaker I just wanted to compare a little bit to as we, we watch people going through life mm-hmm. and the, the emotional impact of the Apu trilogy, especially the first film, Padre Panchali and Apu, uh, Apu Sansar at the end uh, just killed me. And this, this movie had not quite the emotional impact but just the the overall you know sitting experiencing being with this family for two and a quarter hours for me it was late spring we get you know the really the relationship of uh father and daughter and just the entire family unit is covered in tokyo story and probably i in a way i've just never seen before uh, so beautifully so that was my favorite so far and i look forward to much more <laughs> ozu <laughs> so how about you aaron well i i my favorite is the same as uh as matt's i also love an autumn afternoon and i late spring rocketed to the second spot i, I also did a letterbox this uh, as well and I'll, I'll put that on in the show notes um i'm glad you mentioned the only son i, I actually adore that movie and i think that's a, a good way of uh, showing that family or actually the father-son dynamic um, or parent-son dynamic and then I haven't seen uh, There Was a Father but I, uh, Hen in the Wind is actually my last but I don't there's not really a bad Ozu film I still do like it it's it's a little difficult again a little darker some uh, some characters aren't exactly the most pleasant uh, or the most conscientious but um but it's still worth watching. I'd also like to point out a couple that we haven't mentioned is a record of a tenement gentleman. I like a lot. 
uh, which you mentioned wasn't successful, but I think is, is worthwhile. Um, I, I also like an Inn in Tokyo, which was, is that his last silent? I forget. It is. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, actually. That's good. Uh, I, I like his the Floating Weeds silent version. I've already mentioned that. I, I really like Early Spring a lot and Tokyo Twilight a lot. Uh, some of the, like Equinox Flower is okay, but um, and Floating Weeds is okay. The the sound Floating Weeds, but I think uh, the silent is superior. Hmm. And I, and I like Good Morning a lot, but I, I need to revisit. So I'll, I'll get my chance. Yeah. Nice. The last one I would recommend is um, The Flavor of Green Tea Over Rice, which is uh, yeah. film Filmstruck. Actually, I don't think it's on Filmstruck mm. yet. It was on Hulu, but I'm sure they'll put it up soon. Um, mm. That's a very unusual film from him because it, it focuses on a husband and wife uh, that are uh, um, older. So it, it's, it's about not necessarily romantic love, uh, but certainly more kind of uh, spousal affection, I guess I would say. Uh, and so it's a little a little different from his other movies, but I I really like it a lot. I found it very moving. Mm-hmm. And uh, correction with the only son, I, I was confusing it with another, but it's mother son, <laughs> which is often the case. Nice. So um, lastly, any any sources that you wanted to uh, call out, just sources for this podcast or uh, recommendations, Matt, on Ozu. Well, uh, I wish there was more writing on Ozu in English mm. than there is. Uh, there is a, a Donald Ritchie uh, book called Ozu that I highly recommend. It's very uh, interesting. And then Boardwell ha- also has a, an Ozu book that is more technical, mm-hmm. uh, and but still enjoyable. Um, that's much harder to find. I think it's, it's mm. selling for like $150 on Amazon right now. Oh, maybe um, I print. And then uh, a book just came out, actually, that people might want to check out. I haven't been able to uh, get it from the library yet, and it's, I think, 40 bucks on Amazon, so I don't want to shell out without seeing it. But it's a series of essays uh, from Western uh, scholars and, and, uh, and critics uh, about Ozu's impact on the broader world of cinema. Um, hmm. which which sounds interesting but there's tons in J- Japanese including a book that is uh, is quoted in the late spring booklet uh, of Ozu talking about Kogonada his um, uh, screenwriting partner uh, but uh, unfortunately uh, I I'm not I'm not entirely fluent in Japanese you need to get on that Matt <laughs> yeah, yeah. if there's if there's a motivation it's uh, it's this Uh Actually, the Boardwell book is, for a while, he was giving it out free in, in the PDF format. I'll wow. have to check to see if mm. it's still still available. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I'd recommend that. I, I also would recommend uh, uh, Moise Shulan, uh, who's used to be part of the Criterion cast. He's um, He has Electric Shadow as his podcast network. For a while, he had a Criterion show uh, called Criterion Collected, I believe it was. And he did. He started a series on Ozu, and it was right. a bunch of small episodes. He didn't really get past the silent work, but those are worth a listen. And I, I can't remember the duration, but I think they were maybe 10, 15 minutes each. And um, and so even though I haven't seen as many silent films as I'd like, uh, this kind of informed me a little bit about what uh, Ozu was doing back then. Well, and I, I went with a book, uh, another Donald Ritchie book that you guys had recommended, more of a overview, but 100 Years of Japanese Film. Um, it's been released and revised and updated. Uh, it's got a picture of Zatoichi on the cover, or newer Zatoichi. So 
recommended that. I look forward to diving into that some more. Cool. So, Matt, thank you so much for joining us. This Again, we had to have you on as our, uh, I'll call you our Ozu expert, lover of Ozu, and uh, profoundly saying that late spring is the greatest movie of all time. Thanks for coming <laughs> on. <laughs> thank you. you. Usually I'm just wandering around the street uh, forcing strangers to talk to me about Ozu, so it's nice, <laughs> it's nice to actually be invited to do so. Nice. Well, you nice. certainly didn't hold back. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So where can folks uh, find you online? Give us a plug. Uh, the biggest, the two biggest places to find me are on Letterboxd. I'm Matthew E.G., and I do a lot of movie watching and uh, have a, have some, some lists that might be useful to, to some people. And then um, uh, the Facebook group Criterion Considered, if you want to come in and talk about uh, movies through the lens of the Criterion Collection, there's, uh, there's a lot of people waiting to chime in on whatever you have to say. Excellent. And Aaron, uh, where can folks find you? I'm at AWest505 on Twitter and a few other places. You can find Criterion Close-Up at CriterionCU on Twitter, uh, uh, Facebook slash Criterion Close-Up on Facebook. Email us at feedback at Criterion Close-Up. I would love some some feedback, um, iTunes reviews, and uh, you can find me, Mark Herney, H-U-R-N-E, at Mark Herney on Twitter same place on letterboxd i'm at least trying to get my <laughs> diary up to date there <laughs> and um would love some feedback on our up, our next episode again we've gone to the monthly format with criterion close-up uh with criterion now happening more on a weekly basis um, but our next show will be in a month it's continuing our french of the night uh, french film of the 1930s series part three so we will be talking about Renee Claire and Julian Duvivier with a couple of special guests. So actually, actually, that. just Ju- Julian Duvivier. <laughs> ah, okay. We decided to to just keep it to one. Smart, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So the Duvivier episode, part three. Look forward to that. Well, thanks everyone for listening to Criterion Close Up. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>